travel, it's one of life's greatest pleasures. When we journey abroad, we discover new places and meet fascinating people, but we also gain perspective and take on a wider view of the world around us. That was Trevor Ranges, and I'm Scott Coates. After more than 25 years living and working in Asia, we've developed an amazing network of interesting characters throughout the region. Talk Travel Asia is our way of sharing them with you. Plug in and get connected to hot tips, interesting perspectives, and expert travel advice as we cultivate travel insight through intelligent conversation. Welcome to Talk Travel Asia, episode 57, Textiles in Southeast Asia. There's a long and rich history of textile production across Southeast Asia, both through history and across geography. While many are familiar with Thai silk, they may not be familiar with some of the other textile traditions across the region. Today, we are going to talk to Chamwan Wirawarawit about the variety of unique textiles across the region and how you can experience them. I'm Trevor Ranges, recording here in Bali, and as always, I'm with my partner, Scott Coates. How are you doing today, Scott? Good, man. I'm in Bangkok. It's a really nice, bright, sunny Saturday morning here, and uh, I got to admit, this is not my strong point, this topic. I have certainly seen some textile production across the region, and it's always good to use the podcast as a means to expand personal knowledge, too. Yeah, for sure. You know, uh, this was one of the things that I think I benefited from uh, in my travel writing career because like bird watching, I knew nothing about it. Textiles, I was very unfamiliar with. Um, but, you know, when I spent some time in Laos and I spent some time in Cambodia, I learned about this very rich history of textiles they had in these countries and what beautiful products they, that they create. Yeah, I mean, I've seen um, weaving of textiles, which is just painstakingly slow and precise, especially up in a little town called Mesalak along the Mekok River outside of Chiang Rai province, just inside Chiang Mai. But when I used to lead tours through that area, there were some Shan women, and Shan are indigenous to Myanmar, but they live in, in Thailand, these particular people, and they would weave there. And I mean, it was incredible to see how long it would take and the colors of the threads and kind of wonder how they actually made money on it. I can't remember how much they sold for it, but when you figured that the hours put in, it was incredible. And then I've also been, you know, just outside of Siem Reap, there's, I think, artisans to Angkor, and there's a few weaving villages out there. I've seen it there. That's really, really neat. And of course, very familiar with Jim Thompson, who's famous for silk uh, here in Thailand. So um, yeah, and I think a long time ago at Nisa in the northeastern part of Thailand, I've seen a few villages. So it's something I'm aware of. Um, I've seen in places also, I think it's, what is it called? Up Tok Tok or something in Luang Prabang? Up Pop Tok in Luang Up, Prabang. Talk, yeah, that was really cool. When I was there, uh, like I spent quite a bit of time in Luang Prabang. And if you go to the Luang Prabang night market, um, there's all these women that sell the textiles that they, they manufacture in their homes. And, and it was just fascinating, these patterns and these colors and how beautiful they are. And like you said, like it takes like months sometimes to make some of these works and, and they sell them for so cheaply. Um, but Ak Paptak, yeah, in Luang Prabang, um, it's kind of a living museum, that part of Laos. Um, and, and they do little educational programs. Actually, a, a travel experience. That's why I thought it would be good for Talk Travel Asia, because whenever you travel to different parts of the region, there's these rich textiles cultures, you know, like like you were saying in, in Mesalak or Isan or, or Cambodia, even in, in different villages, they have different traditions mm. and, and different styles. 
Um, so there's a lot that you can learn. And then these are, are beautiful works of art that you can bring home as souvenirs as well. Yeah. Now, I could be wrong on this, but I feel like over the years I've read or I've heard that, I mean, people will sometimes imprint stories about history or their particular culture and villages into some of these these pieces of fabric. And that often people could look at a, a piece of fabric and know like, oh, this comes from this region. And even beyond that, it comes from this particular tribe. So there's almost like real cultural stamps and stories in some of these uh, works too. Yeah, down to the to the families even and the traditions that they pass down from, from grandmother to mother to daughter. At, at Ak Poptok, when I was there many years ago, they had found uh, like a 50-year-old textile and, and they went on a mission to go and try and find the woman who made it based on the style um, and they were able to do so. Wow, cool. Well, enough about two guys that don't really know what they're talking about. <laughs> Why don't you introduce our guest? Okay, today's guest is Chom Wirawarawit. She's currently an editor at Two Magazine in 2-mag.com, but it's also a print publication uh, that is about fashion and, and culture and, and food and, and, and everything interesting. Um, Chamwan was born in Thailand, uh, but raised and educated mostly in the UK with stints in Indonesia and Paris. Um, Cham trained as a lawyer, but then swayed from the legal profession to engage in more creative endeavors, like art, fashion, art, and film. Uh, she went on to do her PhD in property and textiles in the region. So uh, let's uh, introduce Chom. Hey Chom, how's it going? Thanks for inviting me into your home this morning. Hi Trevor. It, uh, well, thank you for inviting me to be part of your podcast. Well, you know, one of the first articles that we worked on together at Two Magazine was called To the Roots, which was about textiles in Thailand. And, uh, and we had first really just met. And as I was editing it, I realized that you had like this huge wealth of information about textiles. So how did you first get interested in textiles and how did that evolve into a passion? Okay, so quite a few years ago, straight out of college, my father was involved in the first geographical indication law here in Thailand. And I think what led to that and his involvement in that was kind of years of traveling around the country and everywhere he went, he would pick up a sarong, a scarf, a kind of antique textile or whatever it was. So, you know, kind of formative years, right? I must have been, you know, 18, mm. yeah, 18, 20, 21, wanted to be a fashion designer, but I was in mm. law school and, you know, there was just boxes and boxes of these beautiful textiles at home. Yeah. So it was part of kind of his knowledge gathering, information gathering thing for, for this law. And um, that's kind of, I feel like, what sparked it off. And then I started um, a little fashion label fresh out of college. So I was still a mm. lawyer. I'd come back to Thailand. I was working in a law firm. But I started making fisherman trousers, mm. but with kind of rare silks and things, which at the time wasn't done so much. You know, so it was, I would basically raid my father's collection and start, you know, doing these, like, bespoke, at the time, considered, I guess, white trousers. So that kind of evolved into a sort of little business where I was designing uniforms and with every intention to go to fashion school. But then I kind of ended up following through with the law route and discovered that within the legal realm, there was a lot of space to be able to collaborate with fashion, to collaborate with textiles as an industry, and to be able to merge the two, basically. Huh, that's interesting. I had no idea that you went to law school. Because like from working with you on that article, I learned that you had done your PhD in, in textiles. 
So tell us a little bit about your thesis. Like, how did you like say, all right, enough with law school. I'm going to focus my studies on this. Well, you know, that's what's funny. I, um, I got a scholarship basically to do that from the British government. And they, at the time, I think could be considered to be quite progressive because my whole thing was, okay, you're going to give me a scholarship to go back to law school mm. and do an MPhil and potentially a PhD in law. But I'm here like, I want to be a fashion designer. How are we going to reconcile the two? And then I realized that with intellectual property, which was what I guess my dad had been working on as well over the last kind of decade. So I think there was like a law in time, I think it was 2008, which was the new intellectual property legislation, mm -hmm. or maybe even before 2000, no, 1998. Okay. It was 1998. And that was when a lot of these treaties were ratified. We became more active with intellectual property you know, legislation, enforcement and whatnot. And I thought, well, I can do this. I can do intellectual property and textiles. I can look at how all of these legal instruments that are available within the realm of IP could mm -hmm. be used to, I guess, number one, develop, promote, enhance. Yeah, I, you know, so that's, that's kind of my starting point for the, for the PhD. Okay, that's interesting because, again, like, you know, I could see how maybe intellectual property rights could be applied to, you know, a certain production aspect for, for silk or something like that. And I think lots of people are, are well aware that Thailand is famous for silk, um, but maybe many people don't know about other textiles that Thailand is famous for that might need those types of protections. Could you tell us a little bit about the other textiles Thailand's known for? Well, with IP, what I found to be most relevant to Thailand, and actually Thailand is a model for other developing countries, is geographical indication or, and traditional knowledge. So mm -hmm. it's this legislation that enables a people, a region and its people to protect as their own something which is from the land. Mm -hmm. And textiles, you know, certain types of textiles, textiles are synonymous with that. In fact, in Thailand, the first type of textile which was given a, G, given a GI was was, um, was an ECAT textile. Okay. It was. Was it from like Nong Kai? Yeah, this one specifically was from Udon Thani, and it was from a small village called Naka. Mm. And it taken them years to figure out how to grant this GI to this one village. And it was um, a silk ikat, very elaborate silk ikat. And well, it had been, yeah. What's special about the ikat? Um, what they discovered was that it was something that had been passed on over like hundreds and hundreds of years. The colors were drawn from the land. I think it was um, the natural dyes which they used. Mm. So it was like not these vibrant colors that you've come, you know, maybe one has come to associate with Thai silk, but rather these muted tones. And, you know, ikat is actually, they tie-dye with the yarn. Mm. They, they tie-dye the yarn on a kind of, how do you say, like a panel thing. And they create these really elaborate patterns and the naka pattern follows from that and I think it's based probably in some mythology oh yeah you know the patterns hmm. so the naga and this and that and yeah yeah another thing you mentioned in the article going back to the more vibrant colors was indigo mm. so a lot of these wonderful textiles in Thailand are in Isan the northeast of Thailand and the indigo the indigo I mean indigo is all over Thailand actually like indigo seems to be how do you say it grows well here? There's mm. actually two different species of indigo, but in Sagonakon there is just an abundance, and I think it's the land. It's it's arid, but yet when it rains, it rains a lot, and it's fertile. 
So this um, Sukhonakan indigo is quite famous. It's having a bit of a, a moment. That's interesting. Yeah, and you know, on our show notes for people listening, we'll put together a Google map. Mm-hmm. So if people aren't familiar with the northeastern part of Thailand, we can create a little map so mm-hmm. people know where these these things are, are found. Um, as you know, we're a travel podcast, right? Mm-hmm. So talking about these different destinations, um, one of the things that I love about traveling is getting handicrafts or you know textiles or carvings or whatnot from the artisans who create them. Um, One that I'm familiar with in Cambodia is called Artisans Dangkor, and uh, they operate a silk weaving village outside of town where villagers can go and learn about silk weaving production and then buy the silk from the women who create those fabrics. Um, Do you know any places in Thailand where you can go and have that experience where you can see the production of the materials and and then purchase it directly from those people? Yes, absolutely. In Thailand, the type of fabrics that you get, the type of textiles and the method depends on the region. And um, there's, there's, you know, there's the private individuals that create these wonderful community centers and there's also OTOP. So OTOP is a one, one bumble and one product kind of thing, which, you know, the government promotes and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But um, something that is comparable to the artisan d'Angor is I came across a woman in Chiang Mai called Patricia Chessman. Mm-hmm. She's been in Thailand for the last 30 years, and she's worked with hill tribe villagers, trying to reintroduce to them natural dyes. So when Jim Thompson came along in the 1960s, what he did also was introduce synthetic dyes mm-hmm. to the weaving yeah. communities, and which wasn't a bad thing. It enabled villages to be able to weave and create quite commercial products such that they weren't able to do before you know because it was all these muted colors so you know Patricia came along and said wait hang on a second you in the north of Thailand have hom which is a species of indigo and you have all of these wonderful indigenous plants that create give natural dye like why don't we do something with that and for the last 30 years she's been educating hill tribe villages and also she's got a research center you know, just a little bit outside of Chiang Mai. So mm-hmm. my first experience in dyeing indigo when my husband and I decided that we wanted to make organic t-shirts, di- dip dyed in Thai indigo, was to go and do a workshop with Patricia. Oh, so people can go there yeah. and actually get hands-on experience? Absolutely. She does workshops. Her daughter runs it now. She went to design school in England, I think. And they have a store also in Imanhe, Min in Chiang Mai. So Patricia is someone in the north. And, you know, her organization, she's a professor. She's an expert in all of this stuff in Laotian and Thai textiles. So there's, you know, I think in similarly to Carol Cassidy in Cambodia mm. and Laos, like there's there's just a real community. So that's in Chiang Mai. Um, in Isan, it's a lot less organized. You don't have you know these kind of professors who've devoted their lives to. I mean, I think you do, but they're in the universities. Mm, or it's more academic rather than commercial. Yeah, absolutely. And then you've got the King and the Queen's Research Centers. Mm. So Sasikt, which is a support foundation. But again, there's nothing kind of, you know, Patricia's whole thing was that we make it so that someone can buy it. Yeah. We make it so that this is available and the knowledge can be passed on because it must be commercial. You know, it must have commercial value of sorts. And Otherwise, it might die out, right? It might die out yeah. when there's no demand. So, you know, that's a little bit different from the academic approaches of the universities and maybe the support foundation, although that's changing. So, um, like in Isan, 
how we did it was we got an OTOP list and we just hit up every village one mm. by one and what you'll find you'll find grandmas and aunties and they're the ones who are dying therefore they're very enthusiastic when a young person comes along mm. to share their knowledge we, yeah so um, what's interesting in Isan in Sukunakan where we spend a lot of time is there's a new generation who really want to learn of their heritage they really feel you know they're very proud of their Indigo mm. the Sukunakaners and um, these young generation, kind of the new generation indigo dyes do workshops constantly. They do them in Bangkok. They take people on indigo harvesting tours. And they're all like, you know, you find out about them on Facebook. Yeah, that's really interesting. Again, talking about Jim Thompson, I didn't understand. Like, I, I, if you know about Thai silk, you, you, you've heard of Jim Thompson, mm-hmm. likely. But the introduction of synthetic dyes is interesting because like one of the things I thought was cool about Thai, Thai textiles or even Laotian textiles because I first became interested in textiles in Luang Prabang because the Lao people, their textiles are beautiful. Um, but it, the, these are items of historical significance and there's an organization there that's called Pop Talk mm-hmm. and they really focus on this kind of history and the, the individual communities and they had like this really old uh, textile and they wanted to find the woman who designed it because each different village in Laos has their own different style and each of the weavers has their own different styles and these are things that are passed down from generation to generation so it, it really is like these are items of historical significance because they record the, the history of a culture through certain types of styles or designs that, that are passed down um, you know what are your impressions on textiles as, as a, a record-keeping of a, a culture's history. Well, that's um, funny you should raise that because it's something that's always been of interest to me as well because you can go to a village in Thailand in Nong Khai and skip across the border to Laos and it's, it's different. Yeah. It's the same, but it's different. You wonder why and it's because, you know, different people, I suppose, different people maybe respond to different things, but different villages will say, Okay, so they say in Cambodia, their patterns are dictated by the skies. Mm. So the sun, the moon, the stars, unfortunately, bombs. So Yeah, there's like B-52s back from the Vietnam War era. They, they actually weave B-52 designs. Into the yeah, these bombs, I mean, I have a scarf that looks like polka dots, but actually they're the flares mm. from the bombs. Mm. You know, and that's kind of woven into the textile. You don't know that that's what it is, but this is, it's seen as like something from the hand of God. Yeah. And that's Cambodia. But in Thailand, it's more about what they see on the land. So flowers, the land and the water, you know, so the Naga comes up a lot in mythology. And, you know, in Sukhonokan, they love weaving peacocks. Oh, yeah. Like peacocks come up a lot. Okay. But I think it's also because Sukhonokan is right next to a nature reserve of where the king has a palace and there's like lots mm-hmm. of wildlife and there's peacocks running around. So they're very... I guess proud of this symbol of fertility. Yeah. Um, so I think that is really interesting. Like wherever you go, that it's all it's all the same method, but the way in which they've adapted their method to suit them, but also to distinguish them from the other tribe. Yeah. You know, even the villages. Every village we've come across is going to. I mean, there's easily fifty villages that are dying indigo and weaving ecat, and yeah. every village will have their own symbol. In the other village, it's almost like a mess. So it's, yeah, it's interesting in that way. Then that it's not just a, a representation of a location; it's a representation of a location in time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we're like talking about you know the Isan area and and the Lao culture is fairly tr- 
similar to the Isan culture. But then you go up north to Chiang Mai, like I've been on a number of times to the Chiang Mai Hill Tribe Museum, which I think is fascinating because there's so many different small ethnicities in, in the north part of Thailand and their textiles are so distinct from one another. What kind of interest or study have you done in like the different tribes of the north and, and their styles of, of textiles? Because those must be in the biggest threat of becoming endangered. Yeah, that's, um, that's sensitive. We've tried, we've tried really hard actually to kind of look at how we could start working with you know, tribe villages because the way that they embroider and their use of color and the passions, it's so interesting, like the whole applique thing and whatnot. But we found that, you know, we go there, we'll go to kind of the hill tribe market, you even go to like the hill tribe, tribe, and um, the stuff would be stuff that they've sourced from elsewhere and often now made in China. Mm. So they say, I think with the hill tribe fabrics, the stuff that's super intricate and beautiful is now vintage. So when you're sourcing it, you want to look for the older pieces. Yeah. And um, there's an organization up in Chiang Mai, again, Chiang Mai is very organized, called Sap Moi Arts, and mm. it's a French lady, a French couple, they've been there for about 20 years working with hill tribes, to be able to identify the different types of uh, patterns and methods and to be able to catalog them yeah. as well, and I think that's quite interesting. Yeah, because I think those are like... For people interested in, in buying like tribal textiles, I think they're a little bit harder to get, yeah? And it's become, again, because, you know, it's like art, right? The stuff that becomes raz, rad because no one makes it anymore. Like, I think that's the case with a lot of the hill tribe. Like, you know, the stuff you see now, and I've noticed a difference even over a few years. Like, now it's harder to find the vintage pieces because people who know snap it up really quickly. Mm. And it always is a little bit dirty, but then you take it home, you clean it, and they're the most exquisite pieces of textiles. And then you've got the stuff that's factory-made, that's brand new, the colors are, like, incredible. Yeah. But they're made in China, and they're, you know... Yeah, we talked a little bit about that before we started recording because I'm based in Bali now and, and my girlfriend was looking for a sarong to bring home to her mom and most of the sarongs in the market are not made in Bali yeah. and you have to specifically say, hey, which ones of these are made in Bali? Um, and then you were telling me about another, there's a place that has a geographical indication protection for their textiles, but because of that, it's become popular and because it's become popular, they started outsourcing it, yeah? I mean, it's, it's so ironic, isn't it? The law has given you an opportunity to really brand yourself and create like a champagne-like notion where the thing that you produce has an added value. Mm. But over the last 10 years, this is a village of Napa and Udon. The second, the third generation don't know how to weave anymore because they've outsourced their weaving to other villages when actually they're the village with the GI. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's really sad. And that's like an adverse effect. And I, I think in, yeah. It's this sort of idea too that uh, it's it's quick. It's like the quick buck. Mm, yeah, and that, in, that notion is very prevalent here. Yeah, and in and in Sukunakan, it's the same thing. We have to be more vigilant now with how we work with the indigo. Like we, Philip and I, working up there, we need to know what real indigo feels like and looks like and smells like because an added like you can add like hormones to it. The way you know uh, an athlete will. Yeah. Hormones, it, steroids indigo has indigo is like a living thing so you can add chemicals to it that boost things mm. and that isn't you know natural indigo anymore right but it's a lot cheaper to do that but again 
the young people coming back, the interest, the new, I mean, I guess why we're having this podcast, the mm. new, the renewed interest in things that, that take time, you know, the, the story and, and the method is encouraging a younger generation to go and pursue, you know, indigo dyeing, e-tat weaving. Yeah. And it's become a bit of a thing here in Thailand. Yeah, that's what I remember from the article. And if it's not already up on the Two Magazine website, which is two-mag.com, um, we're going to put that story back up so yes. that people can read it. Because there's some really good information in there, I think, about this new generation that's really going back to the roots. Absolutely. Maybe that's what the article is called. Back to, the, to, the to the roots. To the roots, yeah. Roots. yeah. And they see themselves as, as, it's a community of makers, and it's all over the world. So, you know, we're talking about Thailand at the moment, but I remember asking a friend, like, what about Batik, if I was interested in Batik? He said, oh, I know a bunch of people in Jakarta. But, you know, if you're going to go to Jakarta, you should you should find a, an auntie to work with, and you should spend some time there, because you can produce a bunch of other things, and it's, mm-hmm. you know, a beautiful place. And I think Japan has had this notion for a while. Yeah, you you go to the place where the makers make the thing, and you you learn. It's yeah, like I think that's the most knowledge. rewarding experience too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can go to like a night market and, and buy some textiles, but if you go, you know, they're, they're, it's called Mekong Island, just outside of Phnom Penh, and on th- all their houses are on stilts, and underneath every single house there's a, a loom and they're, and they're weaving the silks there and, and you can just roll up and, and watch them and they're really friendly, they don't mind and, and they'll have some silks lying around and they'll sell you some for, for really cheap usually. And that's the other thing, they spend like a month making one of these things and, and it only costs a few dollars. It's uh, it, it seems like it's not a very sustainable business in the, in the modern economy. You know, I think that's why organizations like Jim Thompson are important mm. in that regard because what they, sell like this stuff shouldn't you know you mind you if you're if a grandma's like weaving something and it's a simple cotton piece it should should be affordable but if yeah. you're look you start looking at this like natural dye really elaborate silk it should be expensive it yeah. should be rare because you know for us for example from 30 meters of hand spun cotton to be woven it takes a month mm. like we wait a month but that's only for 30 meters that's like 30 pairs of shorts. Yeah. But then, you know, we're living in an age of fast fashion where people are producing 10,000 units a day. So, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it's a big, big difference. But I, I, I talk about Jim Thompson because they have a farm in Isan in Pakhtong Chai. And, you know, you can go visit the farm in December and you can learn how to make all this stuff. It mm-hmm. was the silk farm and it was where they used to weave. It was where they keep the um, mulberry trees. Yeah. You know, what Jim Thompson does, for example, is they work with like something like 3,000 villages, village households, and yeah. they supply them with silkworms, and these villages grow with silkworms, you know, extract the cocoons, whatnot. And um, I feel like what they have as an organization is it's, it's an, they, they work with all these villages, they're able to create that added value. Yeah. And that's the kind of sustainability model that I think you know, it takes organization and it takes, you know, it's not just being able to, be able to produce the raw material. That's what I was interested in on in my thesis originally. Like, how do you take it to, you know, to the world? Mm. Like, what, what does it take? Because the raw material itself is stunning and, you know, it has this wealth of history with it. But, it, you know, then you've got marketing and distribution. Yeah, so like an individual grandma on her loom, she can't go for doing something really expensive because she doesn't have the outlets to sell it. So it kind of requires some of these organizations Absolutely. like Patricia and, and Jim Thompson and, and yourself, uh, Artisans Encore. Um, 
So there, there are opportunities, it does seem, if you were to travel here, like suppose someone was coming to, to the region specifically to experience textiles production, um, we could probably put together like a little itinerary or a tour Absolutely. of the region where people could just experience textiles. I mean, what's really unique and interesting with Thailand is the four regions means that you're looking at four distinct types of textiles and you can kind of have like a holiday inbuilt just going to the different regions. Mm. Like I focus a lot on the Northeast because we're really fascinated with Isan. But um, there's also the South and the South is, you know, it's Muslim. It's the Muslim South. But, you know, the Batik, the Batik, it's quite experimental down there. Mm. I, I, I think it's probably... I mean, I was speaking to a professor who's from Yala, mm -hmm. which is one of the most violent, I think, of the southern states. But the stuff she does is like experimental batik, like stuff mm -hmm. I've never seen before. Because I think when you're dealing with quite extreme situations, maybe you choose to use it as a means of expression. Yeah, again, it's a reflection of the, the time and the place. And it's, you know, it's amazing. Super vibrant colors, really free. Um, my first experience of batik in Thailand was in Yao Noi. We were we were doing a project in Yao Noi, mm. and there's um, a community of women. So the men work as hosts in hotels, you know, mm. and they work the farms still. Yeah. But the women have, you know, they do batik in there. They're a little island. It's super peaceful. I remember us asking them if they could do an astronaut in the moon. Oh, yeah. They were able to interpret wow. a NASA drawing, you know. Mm. So Yao Noi, the South has batik and beautiful islands. The north, Chiang Mai, has the hills and has yeah, indigo and this hill tribe stuff. The northeast has silk and the central plains, silk and indigo. And then the central plains is like us, Thai, Bangkok, Ayutthaya. Yeah, Super Thai. Thai. Super Thai also has its own lineage of like silk and cotton weaving and its own very unique identity. Yeah, when we were talking about that earlier, I mentioned the airport for, for those of you, Sukhothai is amazing. Like if you're gonna go to like Angkor, Bakan, like Sukhothai is a beautiful place to visit. And at the airport there, they have a place where they demonstrate how the weaving technique of the region works. And yeah, they do this thing called kit, which they look like tiny little worms that have been put into the silk, but actually actually, it's an embroidery technique. So they, they dye, they weave, and then they embroider, Yeah. you know, into the textile. So I think it's quite sophisticated. So it has like a texture? The central plains. And hmm. then I think of, I, we probably should note the province of Galasin. Galasin is really famous for their Prawa silk. Hmm. And it's a silk which is woven with like gold and silver lurex thread and this is something i think i believe the mm. queen introduced in okay. the 60s so the queen of thailand started the sport foundation what she would do which was you know it wasn't a commercial thing but she just wanted to see people continue to weave and continue their heritage um was she would buy it. she has like warehouses you know packed full of textiles she would just buy yeah in order to keep things going but you know maybe not necessarily sustainable because right. we were just buying it outright. But what she did was, you know, I think with her collaborations with Pierre Beaumont in like the 60s and whatnot, they were creating these beautiful silks that were like, you know, couture. I mean, it was... Mm. And so Galassin, yeah, I think that was in the article. I remember that. Yeah. And Galassin has a, a little textiles museum, which is in her honor. I believe she was like a big part of it. Mm. And um, you can learn how to do all this stuff. Okay. We mentioned OTOP earlier, which is the one Tambon, one province, um, which is a government initiative to try to promote 
products from individual provinces around Thailand. Um, so for people who maybe are just coming to Bangkok that don't have the time to travel all over the region, is there like an OTOP center in Bangkok where people could find different textiles from different areas? Or even like you're talking about like Kalasin, is there any place, where, where's the best places to, to purchase textiles maybe in Thailand if you, if you didn't have the time to go everywhere? So in, so in Bangkok, I'd say at the airport, no, um, <laughs> so Wanapum Airport has a really fantastic OTOP shop. Oh, yeah. And yeah. they source very well. I mean, they source from some of the grandmas we work mm. with. Otop, for better or for worse, you know, there's it's become so large, and with any large bureaucracy, there's you know it's challenges, cons, and it's challenges. But for us, that's how we were able to start going to these villages because they register with Otop. Mm. You know, so what you then have is you've got these like these. There's some of these villages are really rural. Yeah. Hard to get to, and if you're, yeah. So OTOP connects them. They can, you know, each province will have an OTOP center. You know, on the weekends, the villages will come and they will sell their wares. But what's, because of technology, because of the internet, there's now like an OTOP website, oh, wow. and they kind of curate the selection, and you can buy things yeah. like online, the as in the Thai, as in the Japanese. I would almost use OTOP before I travel to see which type of textiles I like, to plan out, oh, I want to go to that region. to, And then that's great that they have it at the airport, because then if you have buyers who like, remorse from not buying, like, oh, I should have bought that scarf. Now on your way out of Thailand, you could always stop at the airport and you can, pick it up. And you can get a little bit of everything. I mean, I know that on Thai Airways, they have the OTOP catalog, and it's a really extensive catalog of all of the products from silverware to jewelry to textiles, you know, to ceramics. Mm. And they tell you which village to go to, and they find it to be, I mean, that's really cool. Yeah. So, I mean, but then what you have are those villages more commercial but at least it's a starting point for yeah. someone who doesn't know and there's an otop stool i think like, like in paragon okay see i'm paragon shopping mall yeah. uh, central embassy with the airport one too i noticed that like there's artisans d'amcor shops in siam Reap and phnom penh yeah. airport and the prices are actually the same at the airport as they are at their shop in town, in town yeah same with same with the otop and that's great because like everything else is like double the price at the airport, but it's kind of nice. Then you don't have to carry things around. Yeah. You can just pick it up on your way out. I mean, we started working with um, a lady who knits hemp yeah. in Chiang Mai. So she's the only one who uses hemp mm. and she sources it from Chiang Rai, from the old tribes. But hemp is like difficult because the whole illegality over 90 days. Like basically, hemp as a textile yeah. can be used with hemp that's less than ninety days old. Hmm. But after ninety days, the THC oh really starts to mature. And yeah, and so then it becomes a different you know for like a different function. So the government recently, the Thai government, have gotten kind of smart. They realized like hemp grows so well in Thailand. We need to be exporting hemp. Sure. And um, so I think it's the tobacco monopoly actually who are giving their land to grow hemp. Okay, interesting. And um, and you know this lady that we started working, she's she's fascinating. She's in Marin in Chiang Mai. She she's in all the Otop stores. Mm. She really she's uh, she used to work in a knitting factory in Bangkok. Huh. So the textile scene is continuing to evolve in Thailand Absolutely. to incorporate uh, new materials. Well, thank you so much, Chom, for inviting me into your home today. 
Um, when uh, we post this episode, we'll have pretty comprehensive show notes. Uh, I'll work with Tom to put together a, a map so you guys know about the locations where these things can be found. Uh, we'll also put links up to uh, different organizations that we talked about, um, including the OTOP website, so that you could plan out a trip. And um, anything else you want to say in closing? What are you working on now? What are you guys doing? You and Philip? Oh, so. So Philip and I, so the label that we have, Philip Wong NYC, we've started experimenting with fabrics that are not from here. So we have a collaboration with this New York-based brand, Mayette, um, that have this sustainable supply chain of materials, including um, nomadic Mongolian, so Mongolian cashmere, which is farmed mm. by like, nomadic sheep hudders, yeah. and goat hudders. And we've just successfully dyed a lot of cashmere for them in Sukhumakon. So it's Mongolian cashmere that has been hand dyed in Thailand. And it's pretty exquisite. So that's so because of that we've been working on like, you know, different things. Like how do we merge technology, I think is, is technology and tradition. Technology and tradition. Yeah. And that's great. I think that's the first time we've talked about Mongolia on, on Talk Travel Asia. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for that as well. Wow, that was pretty fascinating stuff. I kind of felt like I was in a textiles 101 course. And obviously, I wasn't at the interview. I was unfortunately unable to, to be there. But I've listened to it a few times. And it's, it, I mean, it's fascinating. Obviously, it's a very, very big topic. But I also liked, I mean, her comments about B-52 bombers being weaved into patterns in Laos. I mean, that's fascinating, them documenting you know, local stories under fabrics. And she was talking, I was found it really neat that in Yala and Kot Yao Noi, two places in the south of Thailand, that they're, they're making batik down there as well. I had no idea. Yeah, I think that, again, coming back to the travel aspect of this, um, if you're interested in fabrics at all, or even if you're not, because I didn't think that I was, um, wherever you travel in the region, they have these unique textiles traditions and you can pick up some really beautiful materials either some of them are just made to hang on the wall or you could use them as like a table runner um, or you can have them you know made into to clothing if you like because that's really cheap to do across the region as well yeah yeah well it, it's i mean it looks like if you were interested in fabric you could i mean kind of google fabric or weaving um, production in any of the areas you're going probably in southeast asia and you won't be too far from somewhere where you could see some local production i mean the hot spots obviously bangkok some in northern thailand she mentioned southern thailand it's big in laos cambodia i know that when you get to indonesia it's huge as well but uh yeah i mean i thought it was kind of weird how she talked about the outsourcing of weaving from village to other areas too that was kind of neat you know it, it talked about that before we were recording and, and talked about how you know it's kind of a a backlash almost like the popularity of, of this style leads to the commercialization of the style which leads to the loss of the tradition of that style which which you can't even you wouldn't imagine but you know we talked about it in the introduction um, it takes months to make some of these fabrics and, and it just doesn't seem economically viable um, unless they're charging top dollar for it yeah, well, well, great contact and great idea to do this one, Trevor. I know that when we first started this podcast a few years ago, we were kind of like, I wonder if we'll be able to keep coming up with ideas. And, you know, something like this at first is, I was like, oh, how's this fit into travel? But, but I mean, you realize it's a real cultural part of the countries you're going to go to. And it's something you can actually see and experience when you are places. So, yeah, great, great, great topic, great idea. And I, I think for people that have especially maybe traveled to Asia a couple times before, this is a, a great kind of thing or an example of some way that you could push a, a second or third trip a little deeper so uh yeah fantastic great great topic and uh, i enjoyed it a lot yeah 
know, I wanted to bring a little anecdote in to, to close out the episode about uh, purchasing textiles. Um, you know, they are very inexpensive. In, in Cambodia, they make uh, these really beautiful scarves called kramar. And uh, Scott and I were in Sambor Prekuk a, a number of years ago, and there was a, like three or four little kids like trying to sell us scarves. Um, and at the end of our tour of the temples there, Scott was like, all right, all right, look, I'll, I'll buy one scarf from each of you. And the next thing he knew, there was like 25 kids like ran out of the forest and were like surrounding you like a swarm of fish that you had just like thrown some bread to feed. Yeah, it got a bit absurd. Like, I don't know, maybe there was six kids. So I thought I can buy six little scarves and, and be nice. And yeah, and then I ended up, I think, buying none because it was just too many, but... Yeah, we had to like run into the van and get away. They, yeah, it was like we were attacked by like a pack of dogs or something yeah. like that. And uh, you know, I mean, th they need to make the sales. Um, they sell the, the, you know, the kids are probably selling scarves that are made by their parents. Um, you know, so when I like to travel, I like to go to the to the villages, buy buy the scarves directly from the people or the fabrics from the the weavers rather than from you know like some market or something like that. But but it's a you know, even this makes for a great travel story. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for teeing it up, Trevor. This is Scott from Bangkok saying thanks for joining us. Uh, we'll have another episode in two weeks. And Trevor, why don't you sign it off? Yep. Thanks for everybody for joining us. Uh, this is Trevor Ranges in Bali, Indonesia. We'll be back in two weeks with uh, hopefully another pretty interesting episode. Thanks for joining us on Talk Travel Asia. We look forward to sharing with you again soon. Hey, Scott, do you remember the time we walked on top of the wall at Angkor Thom in 